The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta has partnered with 55 academic institutions to create a pipeline of the next generation of pilots and technicians. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, November 30th. In today's news, President Trump cancels his meeting with Vladimir Putin. The head of a U.S. government agency apologizes to George Soros, and the Senate's only black Republican scuttles a Trump judicial nominee because of his alleged role in a voter suppression scheme. But first, the big idea. The latest guilty plea of Trump's longtime fixer and lawyer, Michael Cohen, proves that the president has emerged as a major subject of interest in special counsel Bob Mueller's Russia investigation. New evidence this week from two separate fronts of Mueller's investigation casts fresh doubts on Trump's version of key events involving Russia, signaling potential political and legal peril for the president. Investigators have now publicly cast Trump as a central figure of their probe into whether the campaign conspired with the Russian government during the 2016 campaign. Together, the documents show investigators have evidence that Trump himself was in close contact with his top lieutenants, from Paul Manafort to Roger Stone, as they made outreach to both Russia and WikiLeaks, and that they subsequently tried to conceal and cover up the extent of their activities. On Thursday, Cohen pleaded guilty to lying to Congress under oath when he insisted that Trump was not pursuing plans to build a Trump Tower in Moscow after January 2016. Trump has repeatedly denied that he had any business interests in Russia. This puts that in fresh light. A draft special counsel document that emerged on Tuesday also indicates that prosecutors are closely scrutinizing Trump's interactions with his longtime confidant Roger Stone, as Stone was seeking information about WikiLeaks' plans to release hacked Democratic emails. Legal experts tell our Carol Lennig and Josh Dossie that it's still unclear just how much peril the president might face as a result of this new evidence, but his prominence in the prosecutor's documents, including being included by name, puts the president in an awkward starring role. Trump is identified as Individual One in Cohen's guilty plea, and he's said to have received direct updates from Cohen as he pursued the Moscow project with the Kremlin. Trump continued to receive updates we know about now through June of 2016. Now, Trump has given differing accounts of his Moscow business interests over time. In July 2016, he tweeted, quote, For the record, I have, in all caps, zero investments in Russia. The next day, he said, I have nothing to do with Russia. That was as the negotiations were ongoing. In January 2017, he told a reporter, I have no deals that could happen in Russia because we've stayed away. We now know that was not the case. Some legal experts argue that Mueller appears to be drawing a picture of a candidate who was beholden to the Kremlin. Emails released as part of the Cohen plea deal show that Trump sought a financial endorsement from the Russian government for a private project while Russian President Vladimir Putin was offering to say flattering things about Trump. And there are reports today that Cohen offered Putin a free penthouse in the proposed tower if Russian authorities signed off. While Trump is privately rattled by the latest developments, he is publicly defiant. He told reporters yesterday that Cohen is a liar and a weak person, his words, who would do anything to save himself from fraud charges. 
Speaking before he stepped onto Marine One for a trip to Argentina for the G20 summit, he also denigrated Cohen's intelligence, calling him not very smart. Then he questioned the scrutiny of the Moscow project, saying, quote, there would have been nothing wrong if I did do it. Talk about moving the goalposts. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Trump has canceled his sit-down meeting with Vladimir Putin at the G20 summit hours after the Kremlin confirmed that it was still on. In a tweet from Air Force One, Trump blamed the cancellation not on Cohen, but on Russia's seizure of Ukrainian naval ships and sailors in the Black Sea over the weekend. Several top administration officials, including UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, had condemned Russia's actions, but Trump had equivocated in recent days. The specter of Mueller's investigation, however, hangs over Trump's presence at the summit. It has obscured his sit-down with Chinese President Xi Jinping, which is all about trying to defuse the trade war. It also increases the chances that a president who has proven irritable at past confabs might say or do something rash. People close to the president warn that Trump is even more unpredictable when he's angry, raising the possibility that he could go way off script in the next two days. But Trump's hosts are working to keep him happy during the summit. At a conclave typically devoted to issues of trade and the environment, the Argentines have been trying to minimize those topics that could trigger Trump's Twitter finger, from protectionism to the Paris Climate Agreement and immigration. In the declaration issued at the end of the meeting in which leaders sum up their work and set priorities for their underlings, Argentina has been working hard to minimize any U.S. embarrassments. For leaders around the world, the question will be whether the general approach can be more successful than that of Germany, whose G20 summit last year in Hamburg was tough and confrontational. Number two, after George Soros criticized Facebook at Davos during the World Economic Forum, the company's chief operating officer, Sheryl Sandberg, famous for her lean-in book, directed her staff to investigate whether the billionaire philanthropist stood to gain financially by attacking their company. The request indicates that Sandberg, contrary to her previous public denials, was directly involved in scrutinizing Soros, which led her team to hire a GOP firm that circulated opposition research about him. Meanwhile, the head of a U.S. government agency apologized to Soros yesterday for airing a program that promoted conspiracy theories about him and even called him a, quote, multimillionaire Jew. John Lansing, chief executive and director of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, said in a letter that the program made several false and negative assertions and espoused, quote, age-old tropes about the Jewish community. Number three. Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina announced that he will oppose the confirmation of Thomas Farr for a lifetime judicial appointment due to concerns about his role in an apparent effort to disenfranchise African-American voters. This sinks Farr's nomination. The decision from the Senate's sole black Republican came after the revelation of a Justice Department memo about Farr's involvement in a controversial ballot security campaign. Farr was a lawyer for the campaign of Senator Jesse Helms, the late Republican from North Carolina, in 1984 and in 1990, when Helms mailed postcards that the Justice Department later said were very clearly sent to intimidate black voters from going to the polls. Farr has always denied knowing about the postcards, but the Justice Department cast doubt on his version of events. Though Scott and outgoing Arizona Senator Jeff Flake were the only Republicans on record opposing Farr, other GOP senators began signaling Thursday that they were reconsidering their support in light of the 1991 memo. Farr's nomination, though, advanced on a 51-50 to 50 procedural vote Wednesday after Vice President Pence cast the tie-breaking vote. 
Scott noted in a statement that the DOJ memo was written by Republican appointees during the George H.W. Bush administration. But Farr has also been waist deep in more than just the nefarious activities outlined in that memo. Republicans in control of the North Carolina General Assembly hired Farr to defend congressional boundaries approved in 2011. In 2016, a federal court struck down that map as racial gerrymandering. Farr also helped to defend a 2013 voter ID law in North Carolina that was considered one of the strictest in the nation. Another federal judge ruled in 2016 that the primary purpose of that law wasn't to stop fraud, but that it was surgically targeted to disenfranchise minority voters. Notably, this seat on the U.S. District Court for Eastern North Carolina has been vacant longer than any other judicial opening in the entire United States. Why is that? Senate Republicans refused to even schedule hearings to consider Barack Obama's two nominees for the spot. Both were African-American women. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, November 30th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.